So it's uh, an honor to, to be here and to have an opportunity to, to give a talk and to see smiling faces. So uh, my talk tonight is called Radical Inclusiveness. And I want to open by just um, thinking a little bit about uh, the life of the Buddha. Um, and when I think about the life of the Buddha, I think about um, how he practiced radical inclusiveness. And the examples that we have are um, him inviting untouchables into the community, uh, inviting criminals into the community, and perhaps most radically of all, uh, women were um, invited into the community after much uh, discernment, shall we say. So actually, um, this, this was no small deal, right? These were revolutionary acts of inclusion that challenged the status quo in India at the time and challenged the caste system and challenged the position of women. He was really undermining the status quo. And uh, if we're students of Thich Nhat Hanh, we know that he, uh, he emphasizes non-discrimination. In the second of the 14 mindfulness trainings, uh, we're encouraged to avoid being narrow-minded and bound to present views. We're encouraged to commit ourselves to learning and practicing non-attachment from views. So when I lived in rural Virginia for five years, um, the, I, I saw I, and experienced uh, spaces that were, that were quite segregated. It was, I lived in a county of 12,000 people and that historically had been a, a majority African-American uh, community um, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the way the power dynamics worked in that community, uh, like the board of supervisors that made decisions for the county, um, all the people on that board were men, and all the people on that board were white, except for one black man. So there, there's this racial hierarchy, and the dominant racial, racial group doesn't necessarily mean a major, majority, but it means people that are holding the political, the economic, and the social power in the community. And this is what we have throughout the United States. It's not that rural Virginia is somehow unique to this configuration. Don't move. And uh, whites, by and large, had the good paying jobs. African Americans had low paying jobs. One of my close friends in that community is a man named uh, George, who is a black uh, Baptist minister. And in order to, to make sufficient amount of money, George worked a, um, a second job. Uh, he couldn't afford uh, 
to work or to just have income from the church. So he worked uh, nights at a, at a convenience station. And when white individuals went to pay for things, um, rather than put the money in his hand, they put the money on the counter and then slid it across. And George and so many other uh, black people in that community were and are, still are, the untouchables uh, in that society. While I was living there, I committed myself to try to dismantle racism. I was so, um, I was experiencing so much suffering by what I was seeing every day. But uh, actually I was very naive and I was very ignorant. And I thought that racism was out there somewhere and that I was a good white, in, white individual, well-intentioned, and that I wasn't racist. And I was really caught in this duality of racist, not racist. I was attached to a view of myself as someone who did not carry racist views. I was not practicing well the first mindfulness training where we're encouraged not to perceive things in a dualistic and discriminative manner. While I was putting this talk together, or thinking about this talk, I uh, remembered a time when I was living in Berkeley, California. This is before I had moved to Virginia and before I had be begun to look at race. And I remembered a time when I was, I went to see a dermatologist. I had a rash and I went to see the dermatologist. I was in the waiting room and then I got taken back to her office and then she came in and it was a black woman. And I, uh, this happened on a very unconscious level, but I sort of froze, like this isn't right, there's something wrong here. Uh, what's a black woman doing in the room? She can't be a real doctor. Um, and then I went to like, she can't be competent. She's gotta be incompetent. And I just had no idea where this, this was coming from, but I was in this kind of cognitive dissonance where I, 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 you know, I was like out of my body. I wasn't present to what she was telling me, but actually she looked at the rash. She knew what it was. She gave me some, she wrote a prescription for some lotion and I left the office. Um, now, if, if this were like five, 10 years ago and I'd remembered this story, I wouldn't be able to tell it because I had so much shame around this actually. Um, but a part of radical inclusiveness is also being with the parts of ourselves that we sort of wish weren't there that we would like to deny. Um, and we can bring these parts, if we can see them, we can, uh, uh, we can acknowledge them and embrace them and shine light on them and help, help to heal this, help, help to heal my shame, help to heal my embarrassment over this incident. And then this week, I was uh, reading The Sun magazine. I don't know if anyone else gets this, but um, there's an interview in here with a black woman uh, sociologist working at 
Virginia Commonwealth University. And uh, she talks about having almost a daily experience of people seeing her as incompetent. And she writes, any minority group in a majority society must display a very high standard of competence to overcome the negative stereotypes and perceptions about them. And women tend to have to perform a certain type of femininity and adapt certain tools of masculinity to be employed and certainly to be promotable. For black women, all of those expectations come loaded with stereotypes about our incompetence. Some people resent like hell my expertise in my field of study. And then on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, I was at the university for uh, the Black Solidarity uh, Summit. There was a keynote speaker. It was a black woman. During the Q&A, she um, was you know, fielding questions. And the students were, uh, the black and brown <coughs> students, were asking, or um, talking about ways that uh, they felt that their peers and the professors saw them as incompetent. And it, there were multiple stories of this. It was actually quite heartbreaking in the moment to, to hear it. There was even an elementary school child uh, who asked a question, and it was about he, um, being in an elementary school here in Missoula, and there was no emphasis on uh, black history. And she was asking, what can I do about this? So my story with the dermatologist, So my story uh, with the dermatologist of seeing her as incompetent, um, the story of the uh, black sociology professor, and then the story of these students, right? They're all pointing to um, this pattern of discounting black women and actually degrading them. And if we're white, it's very, very, very hard for us to see our racial conditioning and how we might be participating in harming, hurting people. So why is it so hard for us to see this racial conditioning? I think a part of it is uh, we're, um, we're, we're conditioned to think in this binary term of racist, not racist. We get caught in this either-or thinking. Either I'm a racist or I'm not a racist. Another part for why it's so hard to see, I think, and this is uh, sort of new for me, is to recognize the conditioning of my ancestors. That when I was in the dermatologist's office, like, I just kind of had no idea where this was coming from, this, this reactivity I was having. And I think that um, given uh, the history of this country 
and where my ancestors were from are from, that this is like encoded in my DNA and it's, it's coming to me from, from, from long ago. I mean, I did not grow up in an overtly racist family. Uh, Ruth King is a, a Dharma teacher in the Vipassana community. Uh, she's an African-American woman, writer, and racial equity consultant. And she says that white people, um, uh, um, says that white people uh, are in denial or resist seeing themselves as a racial group. And this, this denial or this resistance actually causes harm and more separation both within and across racial groups. If we're white, we're trained to see ourselves as normal it's other groups that have a race. And we often say, I'm just an individual. So Ruth uh, urges us to see ourselves as part of a group that has a kind of group think and group behavior. And later I, I have a chart that um, folks are welcome to take where she outlines some of this in a, in a fuller way. It's also uh, hard for men to see their gender conditioning. I was in a conference in California one time, and I met an indigenous man from the Aleutian Islands, except his community doesn't call them the Aleutian Islands. I forget, I forget what he did call them. But he talked about in his, um, how he was trained as a boy, and that uh, he, the men uh, were constantly talking about the need to respect women and that there was no violence against women within the indigenous community. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like no violence against women. And I hold that up as, as what I want to see in our world and what I want to see in Sangha communities. There's a, um, a story, um, actually it was a study done about um, musicians auditioning uh, uh, for orchestras and the um, again and again, uh, men were selected and women were not selected for the orchestra. And uh, there was a, a kind of an understanding that the women weren't selected because they didn't have enough finger strength to get a kind of beautiful resonance out of the instrument. But uh, in this study, they put up a curtain. Nobody could see the gender of uh, the person auditioning. And um, you can guess what happened. The percentage of women being selected for orchestras went up 25%. So these places where we 
carry uh, a kind of this unconscious bias that I'm talking about, this thing that happened to me in the, in the dermatologist's office. These, these things, they have uh, impact on people's lives. And like in the case of the orchestra auditions, this had an impact on uh, these women's careers, um, their ability to um, do their passion in the world. And so if our biases go unquestioned, they, they cause harm. So how do we liberate ourselves? For me, a big place of, uh, of growing and learning um, has been to really listen to people of color. And one of the things they told me is that if you're me, you're going to have a hard go at this. If you're white, if you're liberal, if you think you're progressive, if you think you're not racist, right? You've already, um, you're, you're a tough nut to crack. Um, you're one of the hardest people to awaken because I've already perceived myself as not racist. So this for me was practicing the second mindfulness training of being open to others' experiences and insights in order to benefit from collective wisdom. I really had to listen to other voices to begin to liberate myself. And liberation is a collective job, right? We, can't, we cannot do this individually. And this is why Thai Thich Nhat Hanh emphasizes the Sangha so much. So how else can we liberate ourselves? Um, uh, I, I, I see a trap for me was that um, either or thinking, the racist, not racist. Um, knowing that our ancestors tr transmitted to me um, or to us unskillful thoughts, uh, ideas, perceptions, behaviors, and also knowing that I and we can heal them. They're compost, right? They can um, break down and become a garden. I have to watch my mind. I have to watch um, these things that just seem to come out of nowhere, assumptions that I make about people because of how they look or how they talk or what they're wearing, yeah? And I have to practice this. Um, for me, I've focused a lot around race, so I, I practice this in relation to race. Like, when I see a person of color, what, what comes up for me? What's coming up? And Ruth King, uh, advises us to start to see ourselves as members of dominant groups, men, whites, heterosexuals, and also to notice when you're in a subordinate group too, women, people of color, Jewish, queer, transgender, and how can our, uh, um, how can our being enrolled in a subordinate group inform 
another area of our life where we might be in a so-called dominant group. So just as a general noticing, um, men are less aware of sexism and white people are less aware of racism. Heterosexual people are less aware of homophobia. But the dominant group has the most power to make a positive change. I think if we're men, we actually have to imagine ourselves as women and imagine what it must be like to walk through the world as a woman every day. And if we're white, we need to imagine ourselves as black or Native American. I imagine that people of color wonder why good white people haven't gotten it together to interrupt violence against people of color. When I met the dermatologist in, back in Berkeley, I don't think I had any black friends. Today, I have many black friends um, and many black women friends, Buddhist and non-Buddhist. And I really cultivate and cherish these relationships, knowing that this notion of, of white superiority has seeped into my unconscious without my knowing it. And it's trained me to not have authentic relationships outside my race. So this is something that I just feel I need to continue to push back on. Otherwise, I conform to the norm. I work with a black Dharma teacher who supports me in my practice and supports me in looking at uh, notions of white superiority in myself. I've really um, fallen in love with reading and studying about um, black women that have been such a part of US history and have um, really transformed us as a nation. When we look at the civil rights movement, we see men in these leadership positions, but at the grassroots level, it was women that were doing the work to change um, society. I mean, we only have to think of Harriet Tubman, like what courage to keep going back into the uh, enslaved parts of the United States and pull out more people. Some of the woman, women I've uh, learned about in the last 10 years or so, just want to name these names. It is Black History Month, so I do want to um, celebrate these names. Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Mary Church Terrell, Ella Baker, Septima Clark, Fanny Lou Hamer, Rosa Parks, Gloria Richardson, Diane Nash, Joanne Robinson, Daisy Bates, Dorothy Haight, Kimberly Crenshaw, Audrey Lord, Angela Davis, Alicia Garza. I listened to a Dharma talk by uh, Kyra Jewell 
who's an Afri African-American Dharma teacher. And she was giving a talk for Black History Month. And she was like, yeah, go out and read a book uh, by a black author. Angela, um, Maya Angelou, uh, Alice Walker, Zora Neale Hurston, and Bell Hooks is a student of Thich Nhat Hanh's and a beautiful writer. So I'm gonna wrap this up, and but I just want to try and uh, say the kernel of this talk is that if we want an inclusive sangha or an inclusive society, um, dominant groups, white people, men, heterosexuals, need to bring what is unconscious into the conscious. And mindfulness practices can help us a lot with this. We need to ask ourselves questions. What dominant groups am I a part of? What are my assumptions about women, blacks, Native Americans, Jews, whites? What were common stereotypes when I was growing up? Are those stereotypes still with me today? Am I reinforcing them? How do they live inside me? What do my friends look like? Who am I most comfortable spending time with? How am I raising my children, my grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews? Am I giving them positive examples of men and women and children who look different from me or who are culturally or religiously different from me. If we want a radically inclusive sangha, which is what I want, we need to excavate our unconscious patterns of behavior. What does this community need to do to make the invisible visible? If we cannot examine the way cultural conditioning has landed on us, I don't think we can liberate ourselves from that conditioning. And if we can't liberate ourselves from that conditioning, we cannot fully awaken. <clears throat> the wisdom of inclusiveness is rooted in our tradition, beautifully rooted in our tradition, going back to the time of the Buddha. And each generation of practitioners needs to look deeply at their own personal practice and into the life of the Sangha to be sure we are practicing radically, radical inclusiveness.